Hey, welcome to episode 15 of Tangible Takeaways. Uh, I'm Jackson, and today I'm going to tell you that the tension that we feel between love and truth is actually a tension between kindness and meanness. And I'm George, and I'm glad to be here. And I want to explore that whole concept of discerning the spirits, because it's amazing how much time and effort we actually will put into something if it's important enough. So true. All that and more in this episode of Tangible Takeaways. Hey, welcome to episode 15 of Tangible Takeaways. Uh, thanks for being on, George. Oh, so glad to be here. Yeah, fun to get to unpack the message and find some practical stuff to take yeah, away as well. Yeah, glad that you could be on. Uh, how long have you been here at HDC, if people watch and don't know? Over 35 years now. Okay. It's been a long time. Long time. Yeah. And what's your role right now? Uh, executive pastor. Okay. So I've had a lot of different roles on the team, but currently sit in that seat. Yeah, that's awesome. And you do a great job at it, too. Gosh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as we've been going through this Real Love, Real Life series, uh, really kind of this gut check almost to it, where we're just asking this question, am I living real life with Jesus? Which is a question probably better to ask than not to ask, because at the end of the day, I'd like to know if I wasn't, right? Uh, And one of these themes that I'm seeing just kind of rise to the surface as we uh, heard, I think most of us heard Pastor Jody speaking, and then Phelan got Pastor Brian as well. So as we're kind of going through this first epistle of John, one of the things that seems to really rise to the surface is this uh, theme of truth and this theme of love. And it almost seems like you can't have one without the other for John. Like he'll mention love and then in the next paragraph he mentions truth or he'll mention truth and then the next paragraph he mentions love. So it's just very tied together. Uh, So my first thought, even hearing that, it's almost getting repetitive at this point on the weekends. What What is the Bible's understanding of that tie between truth and love? that you would see. Yeah, I think, I don't know if you remember um, Jody's analogy of a plumb line. Yeah. Such a great analogy. And I feel like in our world, we tend to like shoot an arrow up against somewhere and then paint our target around it. Mm. And the Bible is so... So backwards. So backwards to that. God does not... You remember he said, God does not equal love, Mm. but God is love. And who he is, that's what he does out of an expression of who he is in his character. And the same is truth. Even in John 14, when Jesus said, I am the truth, he didn't say he conformed to a standard of truth. Yeah. He said he he defines it. He is true. Yeah. And so what's incredible is apart from God and apart from understanding of who he is, we really don't even know what real truth is Mm. or real love Mm. because it's only in Christ, in God, that we find those things. Yeah. It's so directly tied to God's character, to our relationship with him. I was even, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking one of the things that um, we see happen a lot of the time when we talk about truth and love, especially in Christian context, is we almost present them as things you have to find tension between. Like almost like they're polar opposites, which is kind of interesting. It seems I, to me, it seems wrong. Like there that there would be polar opposites, um, and we present it as this tension. Well, you can't be too loving. You've got to be truthful as well. Right. Um, when really, what we're talking about is we're talking about kindness and meanness more than we are about love and truth. Yeah, is so what we're true. talking about. So we're saying you got to find a tension between being kind and mean. You can't be kind without being a little bit mean, because that's what you have to be as a Christian. Right. 
when in reality, truth and love, I think in the Bible's understanding, aren't these tension points, but they're synonymous. Like you can't have real love without truth because that wouldn't be love. Love doesn't let people live in a fairy tale land without truth. And truth is not devoid of love because the whole driving factor behind truth is that you love somebody so much that you want the truth for them. So there's, we we see it and kind of tend to talk about it like these tension points that we're kind of in this tug of war between. When I think in reality, they're so synonymous with one another. It's almost like we're defining attributes of this kind of common thing being God. You know, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus existed somehow between grace and truth. It said he was filled with both grace mm. and truth. He was perfectly both at the same time. Yeah. And I think you're right. We've tried to say, oh, if you go over here, you're maybe more graceful or loving. Yeah. If you go over here, you're more truthful. But is it true that if we begin to reflect the character of Jesus Christ, we'll actually begin to reflect both of those qualities yeah. and not living in intention. I like what you say, because I think we falsely created that tension. Yeah, yeah, because if you're if you're truthful without being loving, I don't think the Bible thinks you're being truthful. Exactly. And That's if you're Bible. loving without being truthful, I don't think the Bible thinks you're loving. Right. Like, I think that either one of those is so radically out of bounds of what the Bible would actually define truth and love to be, because they're all tied together. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of this bound up in, right, this beautiful definition, we love because God first loved us. It's all kind of bound up in our understanding and experience of God. Right. And even you mentioned this um, this piece of God is love, which is kind of one of the famous like lines in 1 John and really just beautiful, simple. Um, but because it's so simple, I think it kind of leaves a lot to be imagined as well, because you look at that and you're like, man, what does that mean? Like it, right. It's so simple, it's attractive, but on the other side, it's so simple it's kind of hard to understand in some ways. Um, So our culture seems to have one understanding of that, which is that love wins, right? Like whatever whatever seems like love is God. Almost this kind of, um, like we've seen some different religions that would uh, worship nature and they would say, whatever is nature is God, right? And so in a kind of similar way, our culture would look at that and say, whatever is love, that's what God is. Um, which is definitely not what John is getting at. So how do we interpret that statement, God is love? So that is such a, a great point because most people that get uh, dissatisfied, I was just having a conversation mm-hmm. today where a, a tragic event occurred and the immediate response was, how could a loving God allow that to happen? Mm. So what we've done is we've defined what we believe love is. Mm. And because God, God's fallen short, yeah. we suddenly question, if he, is he really loving or not? Yeah. Rather than going this other way and recognizing, I'm going to start from the foundation that I understand God is love and begin to interpret things according to what I know is true about God. Mm. Does that make sense what I'm yeah. saying there? Yeah. Yeah, it's so different. You start with God instead of starting with love. Exactly. And I think that's where our society has gone. Yeah. Because we've decided to let people make a certain moral choice or to to allow this behavior to occur. We've decided that's love. And then we call God into question, maybe because it it flies against what he's told us about himself in his word. Mm. And so we begin to question God rather than going the other way around. Yeah. Which actually, as I mean, even as you're saying it, it actually kind of makes a lot of sense that our culture would do that. Because... What John's saying is, man, we let our experience of God define what love is. But if our culture has no experience of God, 
then they're gonna hit that statement and they're gonna let their experience of love define what God is. That would totally make sense. If you had no experience of God, you would let your experience of love define who God is when you hear God is love. And for us who have some experience of God, man, when we hear God is love, that sh our first thought should go to, well, God defines what that is. My experience of God defines what love is, not my experience of love to define what God is. That is so true. And, and what we won't even uh, admit to ourselves, when we begin defining what love is, what we're really saying is that we want to be God. Mm. We're placing ourselves in that seat because yeah. we've become the definition or the standard of love, at least to, in our own minds. And it's sometimes hard for us to make that real jump saying, I, I guess I'll, I'll take the seat of God mm. in this situation and I'll determine what is right or loving. Yeah. And uh, we need to be honest, look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves and say, hey man, that's not my seat. Yeah. You know, I need yeah. to get out of that seat and let God have his rightful seat. Yeah. There's a scripture verse that I think about all the time. And it says, um, God is not mocked. Hmm. What a man sows, he'll reap. Mm. And it's using that harvest concept, man. If you're going to sow this kind of seed, you're going to get that kind of fruit. Mm. You're going to sow weeds, you're going to get weeds. Yeah. You know, you're going to sow good crops, you're going to get good crops. And, and we don't realize that when we begin to define our own truth or define what love is, we are actually mocking God, hmm. saying, hey, what you've set up is, is not true. Yeah. Or I have a better idea. And no one would probably look you in the eye and say, hey, they think it's a good idea to mock God. Yeah. But we do it practically all the time, mm. even in these discussions. Mm. That's so true. And then what that passage is so beautifully saying then is, and God's going to allow those consequences to run their course, exactly. right? He's not going to just be like, okay, well, you're mocking me, but you know, I'll turn it around and give you a good crop, even though you sowed weeds or whatever it is. And so that's such a good point. So as a believer, if you understand what God put into his universe, the cause and effect that God placed in his universe, how could it be loving to allow someone or not at least challenge someone who's going to go down uh, a field, what they sow, they're going to reap um, some horrible things in their life. It, wouldn't it be loving if we told them, mm. you know, reminded them, hey, we're, the path you're on, the yeah. choices you're making are contrary to what God has to say, and they're only going to reap destruction yeah. in your life. Yeah, because if we really have a confidence in the truth of God's word, then we're not going to come to that conversation with a sense of, I'm better than you, I have it more together, but man, I just, I know that this is a bad decision. It's like, um, it's like gambling on something that you know the outcome already, and they're going to gamble against this thing, but you know the outcome is a victory, right? All, already at the beginning. So you kind of have a cheating on the gambling, and right. you know, and they're going to go gamble against it. It's like, this isn't like, man, I'm better than you. It's just, I'm so confident in what I know. I would hate for you to sow the consequences of gambling all this money against something to, to lose when I know it's going to win. Right. And, um, and I think that that changes the conversation because I think a lot of times what happens for believers is they feel like, say they've got a, a friend or somebody around them who's in sin. Actually, even if you pull back further, just our culture. Our culture's in sin and believers feel this responsibility. I have to make sure those people know that they're wrong. That's my job as a believer, is like what we tend to interpret our role as. And then even when you get closer with friendships and things like that, it's my primary role to make sure that they know that they're wrong. And there's all this pressure to be like, man, how do I communicate that? How do I make sure I don't come off the wrong way? When, man, I think that the role that the Bible is really beautifully portraying is like, no, I have the best news ever. Right. My, my job isn't to make sure that they know that they're wrong, but it's to make sure that like, they know that there's great news that I, that I know. And, um, 
But with that, we tend to think, man, this is our job, that we have to kind of be these bearers of bad news everywhere we go when we actually have the best news. It's kind of this whole like real big mind trick there when it's like, oh man, you've actually got great news to tell people, which dramatically changes the conversation from I just need people to know that they're wrong. And I think that's such a good point, Jackson, because if you if you approach anyone as the as the rule book, you know, you want to hit someone over the head with a certain rule book, yeah. that's never going to go well. Yeah. Our motivation is always going to come from love. Mm. And if we truly believe that a path someone's going down is going to cause great harm to themselves, to their family, to the world around them, man, why wouldn't we, if we really love them, yeah. say, hey, let's take a step back Yeah. and let me extend that grace, show that grace of what God has so much, you know, something so much better for you. Yeah. And, and I really think it's received better when people really know we love them yeah. and want what's best for them. Yeah, You know, exactly. I love that definition of agape love that Tom uses all mm. the time. Pastor Tom will say, it's when only the very best of the love object is considered. Yeah. I mean, what amazing thing of love. So, you, you know, everything is motivated. What is very best for them? Yeah. Which is actually really interesting because the thing that comes off as more loving, right, which is to be completely silent, to not say anything, mm-hmm. that's actually better for us than it is for the people who are walking down this kind of dangerous road in our lives. It makes us look good. Because it makes us look good. We don't have to enter into any uncomfortable conversations. It's choosing me over that person. Because agape love would be to choose their best, even though it would be potentially to my detriment. And that would be the agape love. And so I think that's the tension is maybe some of us are going to be prone to shy away from some of those conversations where it's like, man, we need to get in there. Um, And others of us, we approach those conversations maybe a little heavy-handed, a little self-righteously, where we need to say, man, I got the best news. I'm not going to focus on the bad news. I want to focus on the good news. Like, I feel shame, too. I feel guilt, too. There's great news for that. So I think there's, for probably either side that we land on, there's an, an action point in there for us. And speaking of action points, what would you say... You know, I think as we've been repeating this truth and love, truth and love over and over again, we kind of seem to be finding different um, things that we can highlight about truth and love. Uh, So even the highlight of this weekend was on discernment in the field of truth and love. What would you say are some practical things that we can take away to say, man, here's how how I can discern maybe even in some of these conversations with people, when to lean in and when to not, things like that. How do we practice discernment? practically. Sure. And and I would say in this um, in this divisive culture that we live in, people are divided over so many things that we need to actually just let go mm. because they're not biblical issues. It's yeah. amazing, you know. I mean, I hate to bring up something that's tiresome for everyone, but we divide, you know, over masks all the yeah. time. And you and I could open up the scripture and we don't find specifically a mask anywhere, yeah. you know, in there. Yeah. We, we need to go back to the word of God. Um, And I would say, Jackson, every day, because if we're looking to our social media, if we're looking to our culture to find out when to step in Mm. and when to lean in and when to lean out, we're going to get a variety of messages. And when we listen to the Word of God, we read the Word of God on our own, we can figure exactly what God is saying. Mm. And we're able to look at, remember at the beginning of the message, it talked about the the false spirits or the, you know, that that were coming at the very end of the... Yeah, test the spirits. Test the spirits. At the very beginning of the message, you can't do that Mm. in this society unless you are in the Word of God and know exactly what it says. And I am so saddened that too many people 
would hear someone say, well, the Bible says this, or God says this, and no one's ever looked for themselves to see if that's actually true. Mm. And so I think, I think my takeaway is we're easily led astray. Mm. We're easily going down wrong paths unless we know the truth for ourselves. Mm. And God wants us to know it. Yeah. You know, in James chapter one, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask of a God who gives generously. Mm. Like God is, he's like, man, I want to give it to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that so much, George, because it's, it's so easy to think, okay, well, maybe the Bible isn't, maybe I'm not pouring over the scriptures regularly, but nothing else is really pouring over me regularly either. So I'm just kind of, I'm neutral, right? I'm not, I'm not being influenced by anything else. I'm just, I, I show up to church and that's the thing that influences me. And as long as I go out the rest of my week, not influenced by much, then it's not really a big deal. And I'll come back to church. And it's like, man, I think the whole design of the internet, the whole design of social media is to influence you. Like that is a, a role in our culture now as right. influencers because all of that space is about information. That's what it's really about. We try to make it about relationships, but it feels clunky a lot of the time because that space is for information. It's for teaching and it's for learning things, which is beautiful. Like it's great when it's used for the proper purposes, but man, if you spend any time on the internet, then information is pouring over you all the time. And there's going to be these things that pop up that say, man, you need to die for this thing. And other things like, man, you need to be silent on this. And interestingly, culturally, it's probably going to be dying for all the wrong things and being silent on all the wrong things is going to be the cultural push. Um, and so it's so important to say, no, 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 let me, let me rest in scripture. Um, let me dwell in that and let that kind of permeate the way that I think about the world. And then when I'm pushed to stand up or to be silent, I can measure right. that push against scripture and say, oh, this actually isn't something worth dying for, right. or this actually is. Not a lot of people are willing to die for this thing, but I am. This is worth it. Um, so I think that's so huge, that pouring over scripture piece of things. I would say in the discernment space, one of, even as you're talking about test the spirits, I was thinking about that whole process of test the spirits, which comes off as very spiritual language mm -hmm. to us and stuff like that. But man, to test anything, it takes time. I think one of the things with discernment today, almost like you were saying at the beginning, we're so quick to just kind of shoot an arrow and paint the target around it. Um, we're so fast to judge things now. We're so fast to come to a conclusion, to come to a judgment on something. And when I hear test the spirits, I'm like, that's a process. That, what, what John is describing there, that's not just like a glance at the spirits or, or think about them a little bit. It's like testing something. If I'm going to test the structural integrity of a building, like I don't know much about construction, you do. That's going to be a process though. That's right. not going to be, we're not just going to, you know, kind of glance over things and be like, oh, look, it's standing right now. It looks good. Like testing something to make sure that it's, it has integrity and it's going to stand. That's a process. So I think my big takeaway is, man, in discernment, in discerning what is truth and what is love, what things I should die for, what things I should, um, what things I shouldn't die for. Man, I want to, I want to give that time because there's a lot of pressure in our culture to act immediately. You'll see people hop on and say, like, man, this this person needs to be canceled right now, or this thing needs to be dealt with right now. And a lot of them seem like really big issues. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I want to, I want to be all about it. Um, but man, testing takes time. Not to say that I won't jump in on some of those things. 
but I want to test it and give it a little bit of time. And I think in our instant culture, that's almost like a, a bad thing. But isn't it interesting, Jackson, that in some of areas of our life, we'll do that. Mm. I just took my car in mm. to have it worked on stuff and things that I know nothing about. Yeah. So I asked some other mechanic friends about the shop and which shop to take it to. I actually look at the Yelp reviews yeah. on that shop to see, hey, how did they, you know, what stars did they receive on Yelp? And I recognize these are all flawed. You know, you look at that, pe- and these people aren't perfect, yeah. but I took my time do your homework. before I'm going to spend that kind of money to repair my vehicle to do my homework. Yeah. And then how, when things are even more important, and we even have the infallible mm. word of God, and then people we can trust, like you, Jackson, and others who are in ministry that are willing to say, hey, let me open the word with you. Mm. And we don't even take that time. Yeah. You know, because we've already proven in some areas, maybe if it affects how much money we're going to spend on some, or maybe the restaurant we're going to go into, we will take some time. Yeah. But when somebody says something like, well, this is what God is like, we're not willing to invest the time there. We don't take the time. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So we're, we're discerning and testing all the time, but maybe very rarely in our faith. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Because we will take the time if it's important enough for us. Yeah. It's backwards. Well, George, thanks so much for being on Tangible Takeaways. I hope that you've got some tangible takeaways. Maybe drop some there in the comments. Let us know what your tangible takeaway from the messages this week. Uh, But that's all we've got for this episode. Uh, Don't forget to like uh, the video and subscribe so that you don't miss out on future videos. Uh, But we'll catch you guys next time. Mm